Good evening and welcome to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Hunter Combs and I have a very special guest with us in the studio this evening, uh, Dr. Philip Stott, who's a creation scientist. He's been with us. We've had our Biblical Worldview Summit and he's been one of our guest lecturers who's been teaching us about science, uh, topics all the way from what went wrong with science, looking at the flood, uh, looking at mathematics, looking at the universe, where are we in the universe, and it's really been such a privilege to have such a clear-thinking Christian help us see how the Bible and the truth of the Bible is actually, it coincides, and more than that, it, it, uh, the evidence backs up the scriptures and the way that God created the world. So, Dr. Stott, thank you so much for being here tonight. It's such a privilege to have you on the radio with us. Well, it's a great pleasure to be back again. Yeah, absolutely. So one one very special privilege I had during this last week is um, we got a chance to hear your testimony and how God worked in your life. I've heard a lot of your teaching on science, and it's really impacted my thinking, but I wanted to know how did, how the Lord actually had a, got a hold of your life. So he's going to share with us tonight his testimony and just this amazing story of how God was at work in his life. So, Dr. Stott, would you share with our listeners tonight how that all unfolded in your life? Yes, well, by the time I left school, I was a campaigning atheist. Mm. I used to go to the student Christian movement meetings to sow confusion and um, despair among the Christians Mm. because I used to read books by atheists and find out how to bring Christians to uh, to a difficult position and mm. then wrap them up. And when I went to university, one of the real highlights of my time there was uh, when the student Christian movement had a meeting in the biggest hall in the place. It was called the main debating hall. And a theologian was there and he spoke for something like three quarters of an hour. And all the time that he was speaking, I was preparing a bombshell. And I realized that all I needed was in one book by a man called Magnus Pike. And as soon as he finished, there was a call for questions. I was on my feet and I spoke for about three minutes and then I sat down. And the theologian was clearly in difficulties. He stood there stunned (laughs) for something like a minute and then I remember his words very clearly. He said, Well, I must admit, you've made your point very well. And he then tried to hang on to about half of what he had said. And I looked round at the audience and I could see they were all in my pocket. (laughs) And so he carried on with this lame defence of half of his uh, lecture and then as soon as it was over I went straight to the bar to celebrate and treated myself to a pint of beer and 
I regarded that as one of the highlights of my university career. Mm. Now, years later, I was still good at what I called Christian crushing, but um, I no longer was involved in things like student Christian meetings. So I didn't bother very much more with my Christian crushing. And when I met my wife, it didn't even bother me very much that she was a Christian. So I I tolerated it as a sort of aberration I could live with. Mm. Well, uh, a few years after we were married, my wife went to a prayer meeting and um, she told the people there, you know, my husband is a hard atheist. He won't listen to anything to do with the gospel. And they said, well, we'll pray for him. And they started praying for me. I didn't know. But not long after, things started to happen, things which had never happened before. For example, we went for a holiday to Port Elizabeth and we had two young children, um, I think two and three, and they were very lively children and we had a lovely time on the beach every day and one day I came back from body surfing to find my wife talking to somebody. And um, so she introduced this lady. She said, oh, come and meet Mignon. Uh, she has invited us to go home with her, with her for lunch. And I was very suspicious. <laughs> I thought, now people don't, just come up to you on the beach and invite you for lunch. This must be some kind of a con trick. Mm. And I thought, well, I've got no checkbook with me. So it'll be interesting to go along and see how contricksters work. And there's no chance they'll get any money out of me. <laughs> so off we went and uh, we got to their home. And I thought, as I looked around, my, they do quite well out of the co their contricting. And um, she said, well, just wait here. I'm just going to fetch my husband. And I thought, aha, so she sets the suckers up and her <laughs> husband does the milking. And I thought, well, he must do very well out of this because there was a bookshelf of first edition Dickens. And I thought, they must cost a fortune. Well, her husband came in, bright and jolly, and it turned out that he was the professor of English at the university. And I thought, you know, you wouldn't expect a professor of English to be a contrickster, but let's see how things go. <laughs> and we had lunch, and I was on tenterhooks waiting for the proposition. And nothing happened. It was just small talk. And then we uh, withdrew to the uh, dining room for front to the living room for coffee. And I thought it must come now. 
And then he said, Oh, well, a couple of months ago, my wife and I had a wonderful conversion experience. And I thought, oh, no, they're only Christians. <laughs> so I quickly tied, uh, tied this up and switched the conversation to something else. And um, he had to go back to... Uh, back to the university because he had some lectures. And then Mignon got back to the subject was which was obviously closest on her heart and she started witnessing. And I very quickly tied her up in knots. And she said, oh dear, I don't know how to answer you. But if only Charles Lagan was here, I'm sure he could answer you. And I thought, well, Mrs. Charles Lagan's not here, so you're squashed. And at that moment, there was a knock on the door, and in came Charles Lagan. Now, he had been a Roman Catholic priest, and he got converted, and he became good friends with, uh, with the Bryants, and he'd come to call on... Uh, minion and she said oh i'm so glad you're here and um she she went through the discussion we'd had and she said well how do you answer him and he didn't try and answer he wasn't interested in getting involved in an argument now that's the way you beat christians you get them into an argument and then you crush them with logic that appears so watertight they can't get through it. Hmm. But Charles Lagan wouldn't argue. To him, Christianity wasn't something to argue about, it was something to experience. Hmm. And I found I couldn't tie him in knots because he wouldn't argue. And he ended <laughs> up by inviting us to go to a prayer meeting that Sunday. And I said, no chance, I'm not going to any prayer meeting. <laughs> Cheerio, never see you again, and off we went. Well, the next day, it was another beautiful sunny day, and I spent the day snorkeling at Humewood Beach. There's a, a very interesting collapsed pier there, and I enjoyed myself thoroughly. And we went back home, and Sunday, it was raining. And this was an absolute shock. I had never thought it would rain on holiday. We'd brought nothing for the children, no toys, no puzzles, nothing to keep them busy. I thought they would be busy on the beach and the dolphins and all the attractions of Port Elizabeth. And in those days, Sunday was still the holy day, everything was closed. Nothing at all was open. Hmm. And so we couldn't go to the cinema. They were all closed. We couldn't go to the dolphins. It was shut. I couldn't go to a shop and buy some storybooks or toys. They were all closed. So the only thing we could do was to eat. So we went to, down to breakfast and we made it last as long as possible. And then 
There was no children's playroom or anything. We just had to go back to our room and very soon the children were squabbling and fighting and there was nothing at all to keep them busy with. Hmm. And this became really trying. It was very trying. And we came to lunchtime and I thought, oh, at least there's a break here. Off we can go and mm. eat. And we made that last as long as possible. <laughs> but as soon as we got back to the to the room, the children were scrob- squabbling and crying and it was just misery. And then I heard my wife on the telephone. It was the people inviting us to go to the prayer meeting. Mm. And she said, well, can we go to a prayer meeting? I said, no chance at all. No, we are not going to a prayer meeting. And so we got back to the squabbling children. And then there was another phone call. By the way, we've got a big summer house full of toys and there are lots of children having a wonderful time. Wouldn't you like to bring your children to play in the summer house? And I thought, oh, my, we can get out of this. So off we went. And I thought, well, I'll leave them at this meeting and I'll sit in a corner somewhere where I can uh, have a snooze and my wife can go to the prayer meeting. Hmm. But it didn't work out that way. (laughs) It ended up with me surrounded by these people and they were all giving me their testimony. And I thought, aha, okay, let's crush them. And then I found I couldn't say a word. I also couldn't move. And I began thinking, these people must be hypnotising me. And I looked around for little flashing lights or something, but I couldn't see anything. And just one after another, they were telling me of their testimonies. And while an old man was telling me about how he had been a drunkard, down and out. He was on the street and the Lord had saved him and given him a new wife, uh, a new life. I began feeling very empty and I wondered, well, how can I be feeling empty? The only thing I've done today is to eat. And while I was thinking of this, the leader of the group said, you know, in every man there is a God-shaped hole and only God can fill it. And that hit me like a brick. And I thought they must have hypnotised me to feel like that, just so he could say that. I want to get out of here. But I couldn't. I couldn't move. Mm. And then his wife came in and she came towards the group and she stopped and she said, hey, this is the man I told about you about yesterday. And I thought, how could she tell me? How could she tell them anything about me? I've never seen her before. I've never talked to her. She doesn't know me. And she could see I looked concerned. And she said, I saw you on Humid Beach yesterday. And I thought, yes, I was on Humid Beach yesterday. And she said, as soon as I saw you, the Lord told me to pray for you. So I've never done it before, but I knelt down and prayed for you there and then. And here you are. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) And I thought, no, it's not wonderful. It's dreadful. It's terrible. I want to get out. I want to get away from these creepy people. But I couldn't move. And so I had to listen to them for a few more minutes before someone who'd be taking the children's service came in and he said, oh, we had such a lovely service. The children sang beautifully. 
and then this sort of spell was broken. I got up, I went straight toward my wife and said, we're leaving, got hold of her hand, off we went, picked the children up and went home. And I said, I'm never going to I'm never going to uh, get involved with creepy people like this again. <laughs> so we went home. There was nothing to do. So we went to bed early. And at half past nine, I was suddenly gripped and held rigid. I couldn't move. And I knew these people were praying for me. And I was held for about five minutes. And then suddenly I could move again. And I knew these people had stopped praying for me. And I thought, this is astounding. They're five miles away. How can this be? And I was really worried about this. And I thought, there's something really creepy about these people. They've got <laughs> some sort of power that I want nothing to do with. And uh, the next day, it was still raining. So there was still very little to do, but at least... The cinemas were open, the bookshops were open, the toy shops were open. So I said, right, shall we go and see a Mickey Mouse film? And they said, no, we don't want to go and watch Mickey Mouse. We want to go and play with the toys in the summer house. I said, no, we're not going there. The dolphins might be open, even though it's raining. Let's go and watch the dolphins. They said, we don't want to watch the dolphins. We want to go to the summer house. <laughs> everything I suggested, they didn't want to do it. So I said, well, let's go for a drive. We can go along the beach and see if there's somewhere like a... Uh, somewhere we could go and play, some amusements or something. So off we went and all the time. Why can't we go and play in the summer house? And eventually I started thinking... Well, maybe if we went to the summer house, I could find out if they really were praying for me. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous to think that what to happen to me could be because they were praying. So I thought, all right, we'll go to the summer house. And we knocked on the door and the leader was there. He said, oh, I thought you would be here today. And I said, why? Why did you think I'd be here today? He said, everybody here is convinced that the Lord is pointing his finger at you and saying, it's your time now, come. Well, I didn't want to hear that, but I did want to see if I could wheedle out of him um, what time they were praying for me without letting him know I was interested. So we went to his study and he started talking and I wasn't interested in what he was saying. Um, but eventually he started talking about uh, prayer. And um, so I asked, well, do you have prayer meetings here? And he told me, yes, they do. And they uh, they have their last prayer meeting at half past nine in the evening. And I thought, that's exactly when I got gripped. So it was them praying for mm. me. Right, I want to get out of here. And I never want to have anything to do with creepy like people like this. <laughs> and he said, well, going back to Bloemfontein, really you ought to go and see some people Theo and Rona Collett, they live on a farm not far away at Jagersfontein, but it would really be very good for you to go and mm. spend some time with them. And as we left, I said, those are two people I'm never going to go and see. <laughs> never, ever. <laughs> so we went back to Bloemfontein and uh, my wife went shopping 
She came back home and said, Oh, it was amazing. I met my my school art teacher today. I haven't seen her since I was at school. We had such a lovely talk in CNA. And they live on a farm and she's invited uh, us to go and spend a weekend at the farm. Wouldn't you like to go? So I said, well, that might be very nice. We'll go, yes. Mm. And then she told me that her art teacher's name was Rona Collett. <laughs> and I wasn't happy to go at all, but I'd already told her we would go. And I found a very convenient way of getting out of it. Mm. And so I said, well, look, I've got to do this and um, I'll have, I won't be able to come. And when I was supposed to go to do what I was supposed to be doing... It was raining, and it doesn't rain in the Free State in uh, in May. It just doesn't rain mm. in June, um, and that wiped out what what I was supposed to do. My excuse was gone, so I had to go and see these people, and they amazed me. They built their life around the Bible, and anything I said. Immediately, they looked in the Bible and said, this is what the Bible says. Mm. So I couldn't argue with them them either. Mm. I was arguing against the Bible and it wouldn't respond to my tauntings. So I was very impressed because these people were educated people. They were wide awake, intelligent people. Mm. And they looked on the Bible as the absolute authority in their life and it had all the questions the all the answers to all the questions they ever had and i'd never met people like this before i'd met christians before but i'd never met people who looked to the bible and knew where to find whatever they needed in mm. it they could immediately turn up the scriptures and i had nothing to do but confront the scriptures not mm. them and uh, I was so impressed that when I went home, I, without telling my wife, went and bought a Bible. Hmm. And I started reading it. And I found things in it which challenged my opposition to the Bible. Hmm. I'd learned in all my Christian crushing, that um, the Bible is nonsense because it talks about magic happening, the miracles that Jesus is supposed to have done. And I was at that time interested in an Indian magician. And I believed all the stories I'd heard about him And he really wasn't doing anything that Jesus hadn't done. Hmm. So I thought, well, this wipes out a lot of my arguments because I believe Zayed Baba is doing this stuff. Why don't I believe that Jesus Hmm. does this stuff? But I I wasn't convinced. And um, my wife again went to that same prayer group meeting And she said, well, my husband still isn't converted. He's still an unbeliever. I hadn't even let her know I'd been reading the Bible. (laughs) And uh, she said, 
what can we do about it? And two of the people said there, we will come and visit him. Well, they came and they were musicians and I was an amateur musician at that time. I had nobody to play with and I enjoyed playing with them. I was a chess player, but I had nobody to play with, so I played by correspondence. And he was a chess player. And we got on very, very well. And um, we got on so well that I said to my wife, you know, the only thing wrong with these people is they're Christians. <laughs> and um, they had children who were just the same age as my children. Hmm. They became best friends. My wife got on very well with his wife. And being professional musicians, they, um, they performed concerts and they gave us complimentary tickets to their performances. And uh, we really enjoyed going. And their friends from this prayer group also went and I met them. Hmm. And one of them said, uh, well, wanted to talk to me, wanted to witness to me, and I tied her up. And she said, look, there are two possibilities. There is a God or there is not. Hmm. And I said, well, yes, obviously. And she said, if there is a God, he can answer prayer. And I said, well, he wouldn't be much of a god if he couldn't. Hmm. So she said, well, why don't you put him to the test and pray and say, God, if you exist, please reveal to me the truth about Jesus Christ. Hmm. And I thought, well, this is an easy way to prove she's wrong. And I said, well, I'll do that. And I did, and I, I went away, and I prayed and said, God, if you exist, reveal to me the truth about Jesus Christ. And I thought, how long shall I give him? Ten minutes? A week? Well, nothing happened, and the next time I saw her, I said, well, I put your proof to the test, and I've proved there is no God. <laughs> but shortly after that... I found myself in a meeting that I didn't want to be in and uh, someone was preaching and I didn't want to listen and at the end he said, if there's anyone here who has never given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ, will you put your hand up? And to my amazement, I saw my hand going up as if it was filled with hydrogen. I grabbed it and pulled it down and said, my goodness, how did that happen? I'm certainly not going to put my hand up. But I started to then feel very, very hot. I started sweating and my vision started closing in so I could see this man with a sort of cloud of steam around him and, and I I was absolutely determined that I wasn't going to put my hand up, but I was feeling very, very bad. And suddenly, I could see as if it was a black and white film in front of me. 
and I was walking down a dusty road through a desert and there was a bombed out village with just shattered wreckage and I moved towards it to um, see if there was anything there and there was somebody in the wreckage and as soon as they saw me they ran away and hid so I went through this village and all there was ahead of me was a cloud of dust in the distance and this long dusty road leading on and suddenly I realised the Lord was answering my prayer. Mm. I'd been asked to accept Jesus Christ and I'd refused. And now I could see what happens to someone who refuses to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got a long road to dusty death in front of him. And I stood up. I went to the front and in tears I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my saviour. Hmm. What an amazing testimony and wish we had more time to talk some more and hear about how the Lord really impacted your life. But I think one thing he's shared with us is you're so amazed that God would save a sinner like you. And don't we have a wonderful God who saves sinful people like us and a God who answers prayer we pray that this has been an encouragement to you tonight and a blessing as you hear this story about how God transformed Dr. Stott's life. And I'm sure for each and every one of us, we have stories of how God has transformed our lives too. Thank you so much for joining us. Good night and God bless. <laughs>